I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Welcome back, Owl Pellets. We are excited to chat with you today a little bit more about how people learn. You don't sound excited. To, Are you really excited? This is just my voice and my face. <laughs> and lucky for everybody in Alapella's land, they only hear my voice. Lucky. Is, I, okay. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting the full benefit of the look. So, you know, that's okay. And I'm that, smiling. That, my voice sounds happy. And it was the look. I got Let me tell look. you. Yeah. <laughs> She reserves that for only certain people. I know it. I know it. Only certain situations. Yes. Yes. Me and her child, whenever they misbehave. <laughs> Brian and my children. <laughs> well, Brian generally looks back. So. <laughs> Most days, I think my kids are better behaved. Oh! Hey, and with that, we Take are. Two. <laughs> <laughs> So as you've got your Alapel's drinking bingo card, yeah. how many times do we say culture? How many times do we say take two? Um, with that, we're actually thinking about learning types today. And you're going to say, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. I know about learning styles because if you have been in education for the last 50 or so years, learning styles are the thing. And we talk about learning styles and we have these learning styles and everybody has a learning style and we teach to a specific learning style and we're wrong. Wah, wah, wah. Ouch. <laughs> Which is going to be a hard, some people, some people are going to be writing to us and be like, no, like we are about learning styles. Um, I mean, like colleges structure their learning goals around learning styles, but we have to step back because I think one of the things that we get in, get in our heads a little bit with learning styles sometimes is that everybody has one and we teach in one and, and that's that. And that's not the case. And I think where how people learn to really focuses on types is recognizing that they're intertwined. There are lots of processes that go into any single learn. And I think, I think the types here are really an attempt to say, what are all the different ways that people are actually learning facts? And so, you know, we've talked about culture, we've talked about emotion and the social nature. Now, really, how do we actually help people learn? And we start with learning types um, that there's knowing first that there are a couple things that we need to know going into this conversation, that there is no one type for a certain subject. There is no one type assigned to students. They're not these things that operate independently, but they're aspects of a complex interactive learning process. So I think some of what we forget sometimes as teachers, go, my students aren't learning. Well, they, they probably are. They just not, might not be learning what you want them to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it's really like learning is really complex. And if like you think about the reason that there's a, how people learn too, it's that we didn't, we didn't know it all in how people learn one. And that as, as much as I've been pretending like that's a long time, like it came out a long time ago, even in 20 years, what we've learned about learning has changed a lot and it's going to keep changing. And so when we think about all the processes that are involved and we think about the context and learners' characteristics and preferences, these, these six types help us kind of think about what are we actually trying to do and how do the different processes in the brain interact to help students learn. And so 
I didn't talk to Brian and Mike about this beforehand. I think today we're going to talk about these six types in terms of what do we actually do with these? And so our six types are habit formation, observational, implicit pattern, perceptual and motor, facts, and inferences. And so we're going to kind of chat through each of those. What are they? How do we do this with our students? What does this look like? Recognizing that we might talk about similar things across all these because they're not independent of each other. So but that, I, think, I think that's the exciting part of it, though. I mean, one of the things in the old days we talked about learning styles was kind of scary. It was like, OK, I got to I have to teach 14 different ways to meet all the different learning styles that are going to happen from here. And so often, you know, you hear people use it as an excuse. Well, well, I'm an auditory learner, and this is what it is. Or I'm a kinesthetic mm -hmm. learner. Or I do this, or I do that, and it was more of an excuse for why they didn't were successful. I think in here with these different types of learning we looked at, and the exciting thing that in my head that I think about is how we use this to provide a variety of doing all these for our learners, and I, I think this plays right into SAEs and and project based learning because the you know, projects are complex and they require a lot of different ways to do it and i think by by framing it around these types of learning and again i'm still learning these things trying to focus you know, kind of wrestle with it all myself i think really it's really going to help us uh to be more successful for our students yeah the, and to put a little more into that i think the other thing that we forget at times is that we think that all of the learning that happens is deliberative and it it's intentional and yet there's a lot of learning that it happens at the subconscious or the unconscious level and and so when we start thinking about learning the styles and and learning approaches i think there's a lot of a lot of ways that we have to approach and use the right techniques um, so that we do have the variety and it's also a little bit contextual so there's certain ways that you probably could teach skills or content knowledge that uh, would would be more appropriate. So having all of those and being aware of that in, in your toolbox certainly is helpful. Well, one of the first one here talks about habit forming. And I just, this one, I actually read it a couple of times because I, I kind of was like, what? <laughs> I, I, one of the things is basically said, if you don't think you have habits, that's a habit. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's really funny that they start with habit formation because I feel like it's the hardest one, like, it's, it's hard to teach a habit right. and it's hard like a lot of it's talking about auto adjusting in context like it's something that we kind of do automatically it's hard to break habits it's hard to it's hard to actually instill something as a habit because it happens so subconsciously like this yeah and, and so what I, what I was thinking through this was one way to that I was visualizing this is you walk into some of these classrooms and the students know exactly what to do when they walk in. That's right. Mm -hmm. They're gonna pick up this piece of paper over here. They're gonna sit over here, or they go grab this thing, or they or they're gonna go take care mm -hmm. of a some check observation on a plant or animal or whatever, and they come back and it's just boom, boom, boom every single time. And that's a habit they're doing. They've learned that sort of a system to do that, and and that would maybe more of a a consciously driven type of habit to do that, but. I think all of us realize we have certain habits. I know there's I have things that I say, things that I do, things that I, that, that right. I just happen that have become a habit. Mm -hmm. And I've done that probably because of something somewhere along the line to that taught me that was a thing to, to react to that, that particular setting. So it's it's trying to make some of this unconscious, intentional and conscious to figure out how we use this as a tool for good 
to, to in one case, classroom management. Mm -hmm. In another case, it's like guiding their learning mm -hmm. because we understand how difficult it can be to hand out tools or to, to do the various activities that we have on a regular basis. And there's just so much power in habits. It's mm -hmm. something you don't have to think about. It's something that you just, you just do. And so what are those things in your classroom, whether it's content or whether it's a routine, that I can take the thought process out for students. So if I can, I mean, a habit helps me lighten a decision load. Mm -hmm. So if I have to put safety glasses on every time I go in the shop, I don't have to think it like, yeah. I don't have to think about it. I, I know that's what, I, that's what I do. Do we have to wear safety glasses a day? Yes, it's not, a, it's one less decision I have to make as a teacher. It's one less thing my students have to process through. So both in routines and in content, I think there's a lot of power in harnessing and harnessing habits that the cognitive processing can focus on what needs to be learned instead of how that class is going to function and what what's happening uh, throughout the class so well and you make a good point there's a lot of this habit in ag mechanics mm -hmm. and you know there's some people like what habit that you're well, I, need, I need to be fully mentally aware all the time <laughs> but part of it is because you have to be fully mentally aware to be safe there are certain things you just want to have happen and you're talking about safety glasses here I taught a lot of welding mm -hmm. and a lot of oxyacetylene welding. And you know, there are certain ways you start yes. and stop that process yes. with mm -hmm. the tanks and this kind of thing. And you don't want to have a creative exercise on how you're going to <laughs> shut down an oxyacetylene <laughs> tank system. You want, you, know, you want that same little thing to be happening all the time. So it, it happens in, um, in all settings. In ag mm -hmm. mechanics, I think it happens in whether we're doing more of a greenhouse or animals or whatever else. Welding's a great example though, because even the skill, like you think about if we are teaching students career skills mm -hmm. to get students to the point that that becomes a skill, there are a lot of little habits that we're getting right along the way. Welding's, I mean, welding's a great example as far as like pushing a puddle and how close, like the, the distance, the gap between the rod and the metal, like all of those things are just, things that start to just become automatic as you build a skill. Well, then the next learning type that we were gonna talk a little bit about, um, observational learning. And we've talked a little bit about that just as our role model as a, as a teacher, but uh, certainly fits in very well in ag education when we start talking about demonstrations and you know, how many have a petting zoo or safety and um, camps and those kind of things. So there's lots of opportunities to uh, utilize observational learning as we move along too. I think too, the, it's, it's not just that I see it. I think the big emphasis with the observational learning, at least that I took away, and one of you smarter people can correct me on this, but it's behavior and attitudes and emotional expression. Like it's not, it, it goes back yeah. to everything we've been talking about so far that it's not just let me watch you do a thing. Yeah. It's everything else. It's all the other sensory pieces that go into that process. How do I see you like, what is a safe attitude, like going back to the shop, what does a safe attitude look like around this equipment? What is your expression about how excited you are about something? Or is this like a really serious thing? Like there's, there's so much else that I'm taking in besides just here's the process I saw you do. Like we want Becky to do a good job on the podcast, but we also want her to enjoy to get the opportunity to work with Mike and I. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I'm going to steer us back. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think even some business and industry, we're, we're using safety as the example, um, have landed on that because you see signage 
and a culture. They're trying to establish a yeah. culture of safety or, and so you see signage throughout that, that uh, talk specifically about that. We want those habits and we want an attitude of safety throughout uh, everything that we do. Mm -hmm. So next it's implicit patterns. And one of you might have to help me out a little bit on this one, as far as how an implicit pattern is different from a habit. So implicit pattern is a learning a pattern without intending to. That sounds an awful lot like what we talked about when, <laughs> when we talked about habit formation. So are they, I mean, again, this gets back to like, they're not necessarily, types aren't necessarily independent, but what are we thinking about differently when we think about an implicit pattern compared to forming a habit? Well, I think I think so for the in the text they were also talking and they used uh, they said it was also called statistical learning so I think it's yeah. looking for patterns that happen kind of in in the natural world or in your classroom or what have you so so not only are we thinking about our habits but we're looking at environmental weather anything like that 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 we can start picking up patterns um, and then so that we can start expecting and looking at that. Yeah, that's what I took it to is more of the habit is what I'm doing, the, the pattern is what I'm seeing. I was able to see that that happen. An observation. Like, and, and I, I mean, for me, where I was going, I had I would teach two horticulture classes, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And my observation was that the one in the afternoon was a lot, the, the students were a lot rowdier. And then I realized it was because the majority of them had just come from PE. Mm -hmm. And so that to me is a pattern, the pattern where they came straight mm -hmm. from there to do that. I needed to do something different to address that. Or when you're working with behaviors in animals, you, you learn that this animal tends to want to do this. So that's the pattern that you're, you're observing. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's good too. I'm also thinking um, in a greenhouse. I remember we walked into a greenhouse and one side of the greenhouse was not doing nearly as well as the other side of the greenhouse. Same plant, same treatment, same care. And they were like, what is going on? Well, the students learned, well, wait a minute, somebody put a tree right here that blocked the sun. So it was not getting the same amount of sun as the rest of them. So that's that's the kind of thing I think that I that I took from this, but I'm no expert in the learning on this. We're learning on this together. Yeah. I think they use language as an example. Yeah. for this one as a pattern that you learn without really intending to you learn how to make things plural you learn how to make things past tense like mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily learn the rules about why that is yeah. until you already already kind of do it naturally mm -hmm. so the next one is perceptual and motor and i think this is probably if if you were to go down and say where like where does agad fit on the types. If I were to pick a type for mm -hmm. Aghead, I think this is probably where we we would tend to put our bread and butter as far as those sensory experiences, those practice skills, um, as far as how we harness how we harness learning. And I say harness learning because I think one of the things we haven't really touched on yet is we can't make people learn. Mm -hmm. We can facilitate experiences and we can facilitate learning, but I can't just like, ta-da, you have learned now <laughs> <laughs> just should be able to open up their head and dump it in and yeah. move on yeah and, and and so i think that's right particularly when we start thinking about career and tech ed and how ag ed falls in that it's not only the knowledge piece but it's the skills piece so when we start thinking about skill development and skill attainment um this this motor uh learning um, certainly plays a significant role in, in what we think and how we how we go about 
um, developing those skills within our programs. I think they're also a really good example of where these types intertwine. Yeah. Well, I tried to pick it out and say like, this is that good, but like, how do we get those perceptual motors? Like they come from habits and yeah. patterns and mm -hmm. what we see people, sure. what we see people doing. And so I think some like, well, while we talk about these as far as where do we see them, they're very much linked as far as that both process and product. Yeah, and it, again, it goes back to kind of at the beginning. We, we like to have everything in nice, neat little boxes. You know, you mm -hmm. do box A, then you go to box B to box C, and and this they're very clear in this report. Learning is not is not that clear of a linear right. line. All these things come into play, much like we talked about with the, the looking at patterns and habits and observations. You're seeing this. You, you know, you, you identify a pattern by making an observation, which becomes a habit, which right. brings you develop a skill. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's a hard thing to teach, but it's a great thing. It's a great thing to know. Yeah. And I think that's that's the piece as, as ag teachers. We're like, well, why do we even care about this? Well, we need to make sure that we're providing all these opportunities for students. So are we being intentional in how we're providing things, teaching people how to make observation, to, to identify what's important and what's not important? Which I think goes to the, the next couple um, to, to me and not to, to, to lump them together, but I think facts and inferences do kind of go together even mm -hmm. more so there because you're talking about here, here's the information, but we also know that we have to prepare people that are, they're never going to have all the facts that they want or need to make a sense. We're going to have to make inferences. So how do I use the patterns that I'm able to observe from the facts that I have right. to make an inference? Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that's one of the more powerful things that we can get our, get our students to um, when we're looking at projects um, there. And, and again, I, I go back, one of the things I see so often with our ag teachers and you know, all of us is we do a really good job of teaching using projects or project-based learning or SAEs where we, we do all this help and teach how to make inferences, but then the graded assessment yeah. is yeah. a multiple choice test <laughs> or a true false test right. to do that. And so we're really not assessing exactly how we taught. And I know it's hard to do that. And yeah. I mean, that, that yeah. is one of the, the challenges of formal education. We have to give a grade mm -hmm. <laughs> to yeah. do that. So, but, but to your point, when inferences and facts and the patterns and everything that we're looking at, I think that completely makes the case as why they were trying to blow up some of the, our thoughts about learning styles and yeah. that individuals have one learning style. Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, it takes all of those learning styles and we may have a default or we may have a preference towards one or another, but we certainly have to utilize all of them in order to make uh, learning occur. Mm -hmm. I think remembering facts aren't necessarily just those rote memory things right. or that oral delivery. I think we can get caught up in, I need to deliver this fact to you, <laughs> but we learn facts through our observations and our habits and things like that. But I think one of the things that with inferences that I don't want to leave without this, I think we lose confidence in learning because we lose confidence in our, our inferences. Like inferences are not necessarily correct predictions. So they're like, they're kind of an inherently wrong. <laughs> like yeah. there is, there is wrongness with inferences, yeah. but we lose confidence there. And we, then we kind of lose our interest in learning. And my daughter, Anara gave me a great example last summer. She was asking me where iron came from. And we were talking about how iron's an element and like, you know, a lot of the elements you, you find just as they are like in nature or in the ground. And, 
And she was, was kind of processing on this and she pipes up from the backseat and she goes, so is wooden element? Like not a bad inference as yeah. far, like, as, far yeah. as what we had talked about and how we had defined it and where things come from, but really being conscientious in that process. And I don't know that I did like, well, well no, like that's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like, we have to be wrong right. in that we're, we're building connections and we're making a framework for where, how our world fits together. But I think we lose that somewhere mm. along the line, that comfortability with just throwing that thing out there and being wrong. And mm-hmm. it really slows us down in our learning process when we get afraid to make those predictions. That, I think that right there was worth the price of admission. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I think, I think if, if all of us in our own learning, in our own, in our own thing, as well as working with our students, is help them understand that in order to go through life, you're going to have to make inferences. We may not think about that, but we, we are. My inference is going to go through, when I come to the stop sign, the other person's gonna stop and I'm gonna go next. That's the inference. <laughs> Do I know for a fact that person's gonna, no. Right. But we, we, you know, but there, there's all these things that we have, to, we have to be thinking about and being more comfortable. And we, we laugh, sometimes we call it what, uh, um, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Analysis where we analysis, all, we yeah. just continue to want more and more information. And I see that sometimes with, with you know, with the age of my, my two boys, where they are, one graduating, just graduated with college, one in, you know, upper division high school, and their friends, it's like, they keep wanting more and more and more and more information mm-hmm. uh, to do this. And sometimes you just, you have to act mm-hmm. based off yeah. of this inference. They don't think about that, but it would be great to be more explicit yeah. about, about that. And I like the authors here really talk about how learning is such a remarkably dynamic uh, process and as we're talking about it um, even today and, and through all of the conversations learning happens from birth all the way through life and it changes and it evolves and what we have to remember is that learners adapt to their experiences they adapt to their environment and the role in which those experiences of those environments have an impact on their learning is, is pretty phenomenal and that's why we have so many great teachers in ag education is because they understand that they know that and they try to help make those connections yeah that that learning is 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 feedback all that adapting is based on what do i get back from my from my environment not just what do i get back from the person who's telling me i was wrong but but what do i get back around me and that that feedback is so integral but that learning is also so gradual (laughs) i think we have this there's this temptation to be like i said it they learned it i test it maybe not yeah um last thing we'll leave you with today um i think this this chapter wraps up with this idea that you will not part of part of the definition of learning is that you will not be able to return to your naive state of incomprehension oh that's a so (laughs) really fun to leave you with but i think i think it's important as we think repeat that i think that's worth repeating yeah i think that was good that that learning requires kind of a permanent change Mm -hmm. that once you have learned something you are not going to return to this naive state of incomprehension and so when we think about the complexity of this process and what it really takes to get somebody to this state that they can't go back to not knowing this or to not having learned wow. this. Yeah. I think keeping those the, the complexity of this in mind and just the enormity of this task, not in a like, oh my gosh, <laughs> but in just like, it, it's really commendable that, mm-hmm. that you're listening to this and really thinking about how do I help my students learn? How do I undertake the enormity of this task? 
And for that, we commend you. We're excited to chat more next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you. And we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets Tips for Ag Teachers.